Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Today's guest is Dr. Rend Diab, who is an ophthalmologist and is very active on social media, educating on medicine, personal growth, life lessons, and breaking stereotypes about Muslim women. We have a really great discussion about her journey through imposter syndrome. You can find her on Instagram at Diab, R-A-N-D-D-I-A-B-M-D, and at her website, which is rendiab.com. I am here today with Ren Diab, who's an ophthalmologist, who has some said some really incredible things across social media about imposter syndrome and her life as a physician in general. So I'm so happy to welcome her to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So I like to start out my first question and just ask, what has your struggle with imposter syndrome been like in your career? It's interesting because I don't think I ever knew about imposter syndrome or what it is. So it's only now looking back that I can connect some of the ways that I felt to imposter syndrome. Uh, I had a lot of other things to blame it on at that time. So I think uh, there are a lot of things that can fall under that category. But um, when I was a medical student, uh, I can now look back and see how I often lacked confidence in certain situations. And so when you're a medical student, you just blame it on being a medical student. Or, you know, in my case, I always felt a little bit like an outsider because many of the students that I was with in med school were very clicky with each other and I wasn't in their social group. Um, And also um, as a woman in hijab, I felt a little bit like, you know, it's it's just a little bit on the outside. You know, I didn't um, have any close friends in med school. And so um, it wasn't, I, I felt like I kind of didn't always fit in for some reason with people, even though prior to that, I had always been um, very social with everybody. So it was a really unusual feeling for me. Um, so I, I, a lot of those factors together uh, made it when we started clinical rotations, I always blamed those kinds of things for the way that I was feeling. But now that I've met other physicians and I've he- I hear their stories and I look back on it, I think, it, a lot of that really is it's imposter syndrome, but I just didn't understand it at the time. Yeah. What kind of things would you blame it on now looking back now? Um, would I blame the imposter syndrome on or the yeah. way that I felt? Yeah. The way that you felt. Yeah. So I think like, for example, I would feel like um, I, I didn't feel confident. Like I didn't feel like I had a voice or I could speak up on things or I always wanted to kind of like physically stand in the corner of the room and just be out of the way and, uh, you know, just sort of hide. And I think um, even though I I did really well in my rotations, actually, I got really great um, grades and reviews and everything. um, But it was just that feeling inside of me, like second guessing myself if I should speak up during rounds, even if Mm -hmm. I knew something, you know, I, I might know the answer, I might have something to contribute. And there may be somebody else who would contribute something that was less meaningful than me, but they would do it with confidence. Yeah. And then I would, you know, I would think it was just me, like, there must be something about me that I, um, that I don't have that, that confidence to, to uh, speak up. And I would second guess myself and think that, you know, maybe it's better to just be quiet than to say something wrong, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to that. I felt the same way. If I wasn't 110 percent sure about something, I wouldn't even bother trying to answer. And I look back now, I mean, that seems obvious. We probably all felt that way, but I think I just didn't, because I 
didn't have a lot of close friends that were rotating with me. I didn't talk to anyone about that. So Mm -hmm. I just kept it to myself. And I always just thought it's probably just me, you know, and I known what I know now, which is that so many of us were feeling that way. Uh, I think we could have maybe empowered one another and supported one another differently. And hopefully people were doing that for each other. Um, I don't don't think anyone is doing that for me. I think the imposter syndrome in general is very isolating. I know that in my experience, it's not something I ever felt comfortable talking about to anyone because then there is this fear that if you admit that you feel this way, that then you're letting people in to realize that maybe you really are a fraud. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I, when I look back, the thing is like, I explained it away with, for so many other reasons, you mm-hmm. know, had I, um, had I known that, that, that there was something that was called imposter syndrome, that even somebody who didn't look like me or who wasn't dressed like me or whatever also felt that way, that, you know, maybe that would have helped me to know that, which is yeah. why I've made such a point of talking about it now and sharing it with others so that maybe that can help them on their journey. Yeah. And I think that was so, it was so useful for so many people in a variety of paths and variety of places in the journey, just to know that they aren't the only one. There was so much power in that, you know, and when, when, when you talk about it, that people were like, oh my gosh, like someone feels exactly the way that I do. Yeah, exactly. What, um, what negative implications do you think those feelings had on you or your career? I think, unfortunately, in some ways, they held me back. So nowadays, there's a lot of talk about growth mindset and fixed mindset. And when I was in med school 20 years ago, we weren't talking about things like that and Mm -hmm. um, failing forward and the importance of failing. So I think that fear of looking stupid or embarrassing myself or failing uh, held me back from some learning opportunities, um, some socializing opportunities, uh, some... uh, maybe connecting or even mentoring opportunities. I mean, I would have never had the guts to ask someone uh, to mentor me or to reach out to someone above me to seek counsel or to seek advice or support. You know, I really had the idea of keeping any concerns or problems to myself, putting my my head down and working hard uh, and, and that sort of thing. I never would have thought to, to reach out and say, I'm struggling in this area, or I want to learn more here or whatever. Um, so I think it, it did hold me back. And I can look back and say, overall, I had a good experience and I did really well and thankfully been really successful. So it's not like um, I, I failed something because of it, but it, it's sort of a, an accumulation of small things and a mindset that I had, which yeah. was, I'm small. I should remain small. Mm-hmm. I should remain quiet and invisible and just work as hard as I can, you know, and just hope for the best. Yeah. Are there any things you can point to or any changes you can say that you've made that have helped you feel this way less often? Age. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. <laughs> Life experience. You yeah. Know, you, you 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 have more experiences in life you grow up and also just um you gain confidence in what you're doing because you've been doing it for a long time and mm-hmm. you're no longer the the bottom of the you know of the ladder or the hierarchy and that sort of thing i um, mean even after i had been in practice for quite a long time um i still had imposter syndrome even in my own specialty because i was not in an academic setting i was working part time so those are kind of like 
different things. Like most people come out of training, they, they're hopefully looking for like a full-time position or they want to be in an academic center or a big center, or they want to do a fellowship. I didn't do any of those things. So I came out of my training. I had a a baby and another one on the way. And then I want, I took a full, a part-time job because I I really needed a little bit of rest after residency with a baby. And I, so I kept that feeling going, you know, I kept that imposter syndrome going like, um, for a long time, friends and family wouldn't ask me questions related to my specialty. People didn't see me in that light. I didn't carry myself in a way that's like, I'm an ophthalmologist, um, you know, so that if you had a question, I would be the person you would think to ask. Um, and it wasn't, I won't even blame it on other people. I think it was just the way I carried myself. Um, so it, it just took so many years of doing what I was doing. And then, um, probably you're right that there are other factors as well, other than just time and age. Um, I think it's a really interesting reflection to think about what they may have been, but no particular thing is coming into my mind. But I would say that probably what happens is you, you get some positive reinforcement along the way and those small things build up. Like in my case, you know, maybe, uh, I would do so many surgeries and then, more and more I get positive feedback from my patients on how great their outcomes were. And eventually you start to think, okay, maybe I'm actually good at this, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's important. I think that so many people can ignore all the good outcomes they have. And then, you know, if there's one bad, bad outcome or one less optimal outcome, that's the focus instead of the piles of good outcomes that they have so rec being able to recognizing this there's you know your success is a huge factor that will help with imposter syndrome i think exactly and i think and that's an interesting point because i've been reflecting on that with regards to social media i was recently posted something about how i often think twice about things that i share on social media and Mm -hmm. some of the comments that people gave um, somebody wrote a comment about how his social media feeds our ego and we get so many po- so much positive feedback and positive comments that it makes us want to do it more. And my response to that in my mind was how interesting because you could give me 40 positive comments and all of them to me, I would think, oh, people are just being nice. They're just being nice. And in one negative comment, and that would be the one where I thought, oh, they're being honest. This is where yeah. the real truth is, you know? Yes, and so that so I true. think is, this, it's the same thing with this idea of imposter syndrome. It's like, you could have all these positive things, but just one negative thing can push you back so far. And that's why when you're a med student or a resident and you're still early in your training or early in your career, you're so fearful of, of putting yourself out there because that negative remark that a resident or a senior might make or an attending, or, or even if it's just the tone of their voice or they yeah. make you feel stupid, you know, it, you may not, like, it may just like sap your confidence for a long time to come after that. Absolutely. And I think this is where the importance of the of a growth versus fixed mindset, like you mentioned, comes into play is during medical training. I think that it's so common for medical students and residents to have a fixed mindset that their whole, their, so that the belief is that the skills that they have, they were born with, and there's no way to cultivate them. And if they are, if they ever fail or make a mistake, then that means that they're worthless, essentially. Which, in residency, when you're lear- you're supposed to be learning and you're supposed to be making those mistakes in the in that time frame, can really have a negative impact on your future if you have a fixed mindset. 
compared to having a growth mindset where you realize that you're going to get better over time and you can gain confidence with every you know every mistake or every every time you learn something it's really dramatic the difference it could make yes and one thing i've learned about myself is that i do tend to have a fixed mindset and yeah. it's really hard for me to change that even though rationally i could sit here and convince you of the importance of a growth mindset yeah <laughs> switching gears a little bit so with the one of the risk factors for imposter syndrome is feeling different from your peers. And do you feel like you mentioned being in a hijab or being a woman or even just a type of career that you're in being part-time, any of those factors think, do you think made it worse? Yeah. So that's what I was implying earlier. I think, um, I think that as a Muslim woman in hijab, I had only, when I was in med school, I had only been wearing the hijab for two years prior to that. So like, if you ask me now, I've been wearing it most of my life, like more than 50% of my life. But at that time, it was new for me. Uh, I had started wearing it in college in my, late in my junior year. So um, I, I think probably I was, I, I wasn't yet as confident and as comfortable in it as I am now. Like now it's so much a part of my identity. I'm so used to it. And, and, and I think the world is a little bit different too. The world is a little bit more interconnected and global and, and maybe hijab is, people are more used to it uh, yeah. than back then. So, um, so I think for me, I, I had that, uh, it was affecting me. And I think it was also affecting the way that people interacted with me. It wasn't just like I was wearing it as a chip on my shoulder or something. It was, it does yeah. impact the way people interact with you. And I definitely have evidence of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so when you, when you are really kind of different in that very external way, that's so obvious, um, the first interactions that people have with you are impacted by that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're impacted by that as well. So um, uh, it sort of just continues uh, to, to affect things. Um, so I would say in terms of medical school, uh, that affected me. Um, and then in terms of uh, residency, that also affected me. And the other thing that affected me was that I was married and I had a baby in internship. So that was really mm-hmm. uncommon at that time. Yeah. You know, and it was not something that I could really connect with anyone else with or share with them. Um, I felt that I had to stay quiet about it, even though I actually was pregnant and had my baby during internship. So it's not like I could hide it like a secret, but I did. Like I went, I had my baby. I came back a few weeks later and, you know, it just like, I, I don't know. I just kind of, I had my pump, which was, you know, back then they were gigantic. Like I was carried around with me, you know, and I would (laughs) sneak into call rooms like every four hours and pump and stuff. But aside from that, like I was just sort of this closeted new mom, you know, and I got, so, and I, I honestly wonder sometimes how I got through that because I got no support. Yeah. Um, I didn't even reach out to anyone for support because I thought my role was to just stay quiet about it, pretend like I wasn't different from anyone else and just, you know, and just carry on like that um, and soldier through it. And is that something that looking back that you feel like you wish it hadn't been that way or that you're, you're hoping things aren't still like that now? Absolutely. I look back, I feel sorry for that girl that I was, you know, I was young, I was alone, I was, um, I didn't have any support or mentorship at all. And I was physically exhausted. Like I was so drained, I was pumping every four hours, I was nursing the baby all night, you know, spending as much time with her as I could. I was an intern, I was on call Q3 hours, I I will never forget one 
time when I was in my, it was, it was within the first year of having my baby because I had her in internship October. So it was still within that year of internship. Um, it was the month of Ramadan. So I was fasting and I was on Q3 call and I was pumping and I was nursing. And I, I honestly don't know how I was still standing on my feet, you know, cause I remember yeah. getting sick. Like I got a cold because I was just wow. like, I had no immune, <laughs> immune system. Mm-hmm. And I just kept pushing through like in my mind, you know, I think as part of youth as well, you know, like I, I wasn't flexible. Like in my mind, like my, in my thinking was like, I don't want my baby to have any formula. Like it all depends on me. And I also have to be really good as an intern. And this is my chance to learn. And I have to take care of these patients and I have to not disappoint the people above me, you know? So it was a lot. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's, it's hard enough to be a mom alone. Like, you know, just to be a mom period without juggling, you know, what what arguably is the hardest time in your medical career all at one time and doing it with not even being able to vent to anyone about it. I couldn't imagine. Yeah. I wouldn't wish that for anyone. I always, I think I get the feeling things are better because there are more women and there are more women who are having kids. So there's probably more room to at least commiserate or to share or for someone above you to maybe uh, look out for you or give you tips or, you know, something Mm -hmm. like that. So I, I think there seems to be more of that. And obviously now there's social media. So there are more people talking about these issues. Um, yeah. So you don't have to feel so alone. That con- that feeling, that mental uh, concept of isolation uh, that we feel uh, where we do feel very alone, even when there are people around us, uh, it, it's, it's very harmful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Did you ever find that the feelings of imposter syndrome affected your role as a mother in any way? So that is interesting. I've been reflecting on that. And um, I think when I was a young mother, I didn't have imposter syndrome when it came to motherhood. Like that was something I felt like I was really naturally equipped to do. Yeah. And I, and I knew what, how I wanted to do it and what I wanted to do. And um, I, I don't think I really felt like that. But then as my kids got older, like now that they are uh, teenagers or one of them is 20, but the other two are teens. Um, now I, I have a little bit of that. Like now I look back and I start to question things. And uh, these are, these are the times when you start to face the really hard issues. Uh, yeah. I mean, unless you were raising a special needs child or a, a child maybe with an illness or other things, but like if mm-hmm. you, um, if you didn't otherwise have any complex issues when they were little, it was mostly just a, the basics of feeding and potty training and teaching them their ABCs, you know, and arranging childcare and stuff. It felt hard at the time, like when they wake up in the middle of the night and they throw up all over the, you know, the bed and the, you know, those things, they they feel hard at the time, but, um, but they don't last, you know, but then when they get to be teens and stuff, the issues are much more serious. Our kids are facing uh, in general, you know, much more serious mental health issues. Um, The world is a different place. Uh, Mm -hmm. My kids as as American Muslim kids growing up in the era that Trump has been elected in, have their their perspective on the world, their sense of safety, their sense of how others perceive them, uh, is very different than the way that I grew up. Um, so the issues that they face are different, and I often look back now and I see them going through difficult times, and I think, is there something that I should have done differently back then? Because I I really wasn't um, questioning and second guessing myself every step of the way, which. Um, that I sort of think maybe I should have been more careful about certain things, but I, I do believe that there's no perfection in parenting and there's no perfect yeah. recipe. Absolutely. hundred percent. And it's, it's so interesting that you 
can be that you were so comfortable and confident in one role that was that was brand new to you, but in another role that you were just as new in or maybe a little bit more experienced in, that one felt more uncomfortable. It is interesting. And I think a big part of that is the fact that mothering, at least the bulk of it I could do in the privacy of my own home. I mean, Mm -hmm. I can remember the times when I was outside, like at the park or whatever, and I would question, like, I would feel like, oh, people are judging me. They're, they're, you know, they're perceiving me in this way. They're thinking, oh, why didn't she uh, wash her daughter's hands? Or why didn't she um, reprimand her daughter when she did X, Y, and Z? I I used to think of those things. But the bulk of the mothering, I did it, you know, either at home or like, you know, around family or people that you feel comfortable with. And I think that's why it didn't elicit as much of that imposter syndrome in me. Um, so that was, that's a blessing because boy, that would have been rough. To have yeah, that's, that's a very interesting point too, because there would be no imposter syndrome if we didn't care how other people viewed us. And that's right. So, the interesting so is that thing. true? Do, like if, so do people who are not worried about other people's judgment, do they, could they still have imposter syndrome? I've been wondering about that. That's an interesting concept. So when I think about imposter syndrome, the the core fear is that you're worried that other people will find out that you're a fraud. So certainly you have this you have this internal struggle that you're a fraud. But I think that it's the struggle is so prevalent because you're doing everything in your power to make sure that other people don't suspect you that you're a fraud or an imposter. It would be very interesting to talk to someone who didn't have a fear of other people's opinions of them, but still felt like an imposter. Cause I don't know if that, if that's possible. Yeah. That will be interesting. Maybe over the time, as you do more of these interviews, you may come across that. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that that actually it, it ties in well with the idea of feeling for myself more imposter syndrome as my children got older, because now they are also judges. So I'm yeah. very sensitive to their judgment as they're older and they're more sophisticated and they're exposed to a lot of other views and opinions and their education is more advanced. Uh, when they view me a certain way or say certain things to me or when I perceive that they're judging me, uh, my decisions as a mother, because, you know, when you have multiple kids, sometimes your eldest will say, will judge how you're mothering, let's say, the youngest. Yeah. Um, and once that starts to happen, then, you know, that can also elicit feelings of imposter syndrome. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I I love to ask the question, what advice would you give to a younger generation, so a medical student or a resident who who feels like an imposter? I would encourage them to find someone that they trust, uh, that they could uh, seek counsel from. For example, if there is somebody who's a year ahead of them in training, or maybe there's someone who's many years ahead of them, uh, even if there's someone outside of their, their training program or their medical school or wherever they are at that time, uh, to reach out to them. And I think just have, starting to have those conversations and finding out that people who may appear to you now very successful and confident had those feelings as well uh, can really help put things in perspective. So mm-hmm. that, I think, would be one way to alleviate it. And then the other thing um, to do would be just to be aware of it, that there is such a thing as imposter syndrome that it does exist, uh, that it is prevalent, you know, and especially in certain types of populations who tend to be more susceptible to it. And so just to have that awareness of it um, and so that you can start to question yourself when you feel it like, are these really valid feelings or is this just imposter syndrome? And you can put a label on it and you can put it in a box 
and you can put it away and try to focus on being the best that you can be in whatever you're trying to do. That's great advice. What positive outcomes have you noticed since you've been able to put a label on imposter syndrome? Uh, I think even for myself, it has helped alleviate a lot of it, whatever of it remains, because it's always kind of there, you know, just in yeah. different degrees um, in different stages of your life. Uh, it has helped me alleviate it. And it's actually helped me to advise others. Um, I noticed it happening with one of my children uh, in a new setting. And I was able to, to right away recognize what that was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and you can then give advice and say, look, this is a common feeling that people have. You, for example, like your first child goes off to college and now they're meeting all new people and they're all this, you know, they may feel like everyone is more prepared than them. Everyone is smarter than them. They don't really belong at that uh, competitive university that they got accepted into, whatever. And then you can talk to them through those feelings. It won't change necessarily how they feel. I think it's more just a, a, an opportunity to plant the idea and start the conversation because what they'll then have to notice and figure out over time is that other people feel that way too. Other people don't have it as together as they really may be showing you. Mm -hmm. um, other people are stressed about the exam as well. Other people have uh, gotten a bad grade as well. You know, So then they start to, to sort of tune into that. And uh, I think it's helpful just to know you're not alone. Yeah. So You're not true. the only one who feels that way. Absolutely. And now imposter syndrome loses its power, I think, when there's a spotlight shined on it. So I think that's really valuable information. Yeah, that's a great point. And when I started the campaign on Instagram, hashtag I am not an imposter, the things yeah. that people said in their posts were so powerful. Uh, mm -hmm. Just opening that conversation and giving people a voice uh, I, I really was so pleased by the posts that people wrote and uh, the things that they shared. And really, it's actually in some ways also sad because you think, wow, these amazing people and this is how they felt about themselves. Yeah. Uh, so it's very eye-opening. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time and, and sharing everything that you shared. I really appreciate it. It was great talking to you. I'm really glad you're doing this. I think you're going to be helping a lot of people. Thanks for having thank me. You.